0: Good morning. Good morning. I've asked my family to join me this morning, for it is better to hear how this living experience that we want to share with you today works practically for everyone that is in the family. As health care practitioners, have you ever encountered individuals who have had dark experiences in their life? Have you? Absolutely. What do you have to offer those who are stressed with everyday life? Does your personal walk with God help you to provide encouragement for these hurting ones? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can be a source of blessing to those that we have opportunity to care for? Do we have a living experience with God, That prepares us to go through our own trials. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. That's Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 121. You know, when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they immediately start having an influence. People's lives begin to change. When churches are revived, it is because some individual seeks earnestly for the blessing of God. He hungers and thirsts after God and asks in faith and receives accordingly. He goes to work in earnest and feeling his great dependence upon the Lord. Souls are aroused to seek a like blessing and a season of refreshing falls on the hearts of men. We want to share with you this morning how the blessing of that living connection with God produces godliness which is profitable unto all things, 1 Timothy first four, chapter 4, verse 8. We want to encourage you that if you, not, if you are not already doing this, that you start right now while you are here at the Amen Conference. And if you are already doing this, that you go deeper in your experience.
1: It takes time and intentionality to nurture a a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live in an age where it seems that everyone is pressed for time. Technology has provided us with more so-called time-saving devices than ever before in the history of mankind. And yet, it seems that we have never been more stressed. We have never had less time Friends, this condition we believe is not by accident, but by design of an enemy of our souls who knows that busyness can easily lead to a lack of intimacy, resulting in stress, emptiness, and anxiety. One pastor states We have become a body of people that looks more like a herd of cattle in a stampede than a flock of God by living, by green pastures and living waters. And the problem is not busyness itself. The Lord Jesus was the busiest person who ever walked the face of this earth. The problem arises when our busyness is not regularly interrupted by quiet seasons of solitude for communion with God and reflection that refresh the soul, that help recover our spiritual strength that deepen our awareness of the presence of God in our lives and that reveal his will for us in the present. So what does it take to escape this trap of modern life? Well, we can tell you from personal experience that it takes determined and sometimes even painful ongoing effort. Sometimes it calls for difficult decisions that may not be understood it requires that we take inventory on a regular basis of um, our lives and reevaluate our priorities. It calls for a relentless commitment to please God rather than man and a willingness to abandon a myriad of good pursuits in favor of taking up those spirit-led pursuits. It requires a daily, deliberate, and in- interruption of our busyness, to refresh our living connection with our master, that we, like Jesus, will be able, enabled to discern God's plans for us each day. Jesus did not consider every single pressing need before him as the Father's mission for him. Have you realized that? He was intimately acquainted with the Father and with his will for him each day, and he could be at peace with delaying his visit to Bethany, for instance, when Lazarus was deathly ill, and Mary and Martha sent an urgent message to him. What do we do when we encounter pressing needs or encounter opportunities that we feel compelled to take advantage of in the moment? I had one such opportunity a few days ago. I was uh, in town. I was at the gas, gas station, And a a lady approached me to invite me to become a part of a support group um, for ladies that are engaged in uh, caretaking of their aging parents. Now, I do this. Uh, I am not feeling especially uh, in need of support because I have an extremely supportive family that helps me with this. But because of our ongoing um, outreach efforts in our community, my first thought was, This is another opportunity to connect with these women um, from our community on a personal level that I should not pass up. Or is it? The question needs to be placed before God. Lord, is this, attending the support group meetings, one of your assignments for me? Or is my life already so filled with the priorities that you have placed before me that this will cause me to neglect one of those? It is in my quiet seasons with God that he has brought into sharp focus what his priorities, his highest priorities are for me in this season of life. And they include, first and foremost, daily nurturing that relationship with my master. Secondly, fulfilling my calling to be an excellent, loving, faithful, efficient wife and helper to my husband, who is able to create in our home a lovely, orderly, restful, peaceful, inviting place for him and for the rest of our family and for all those who enter our home. Third, my third highest priority is to be a devoted mother and wise counselor to our four young people who happen to be still living at home. God calls me to help shepherd them through this rich, exciting season of their lives that surely won't last very much longer, a season that is full of opportunities for them of learning and change and decisions and growth. Fourth, God has entrusted me the privilege of being a caretaker to my elderly mother with dementia, and I consider that a privilege. And fifth, there's our family ministry In our ministry to others in our community and abroad, we are engaged in outreach in our community including holding evenings of Bible study and fellowship and music and food in our home with discussions on practical Christianity. And most recently, we have introduced the health message. God is blessing these efforts, and people are coming, including one of our law enforcement officers who, um, just before this last meeting that we had, he was at the gas station and overheard Edwin giving an invitation to someone else he pulled out his appointment book and said when did you say that was going to happen and he wrote it in and he showed up at that next meeting we're excited with his children and his brother who is also a law enforcement officer in the next town over we're excited about what god has in store as we are building a relationship with uh, people in our community with patients of edwin's and friends and neighbors and sharing truth with them that is blessing their lives. Now, friends, as I've listed all of these things that are God's priorities for me, I don't know if you've noticed, but let me tell you if you haven't, that these tasks that I have embraced um, as being part of my primary calling in my life, in the present, largely consume my days. I don't have time for many other things that I might enjoy for sewing or even for attending weekly support group meetings without compromising the faithful fulfillment of the most important tasks that God has given me to perform. Now, staying focused on these priorities requires that I regularly reevaluate and make adjustments to my course to avoid distractions. I do that in those quiet seasons when my ears are tuned to hear the voice of my master and my heart is fixed on pleasing him. What about you? I want to challenge you this morning. Are you tuning in to the voice of your Savior? Are you slowing down enough, interrupting your busyness to take that time with him? Can you distinguish his voice? Can you discern his will? Are your priorities in gospel order? Or are there so many good things on your agenda that they are crowding out some of God's most important appointments for you? Like your time with him and your time with your family. It is when we are thus living our lives, running to and fro, performing a thousand undeniably good tasks, that gross inconsistencies can show up in the life, such as you have 10 Bible studies going on every week and you have gained 15 souls to Christ You have won 15 souls to Christ in the past year, but you're estranged from your spouse. There is tension between you, or you are alienated from your children. My prayer is, friends, knowing that we have a room full of people here who are very earnest and very committed to Christ, but who are very busy people. My prayer for you this morning is that if you are not first and foremost, engaged in this glorious pursuit of intimacy with God, that you will take time today to reorder your priorities, to make those quiet seasons with him on a daily basis a reality, that you can be gifted with wisdom and discernment, centered in his will, making his agenda for you your highest priority.
2: Friends, I want you to pause and ponder with me for a moment how precious is this word of God that we are privileged to hold in our hands, and even more privileged to take into our hearts. We are told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God can transform our lives. Amen. As we take those seasons of quiet communion that my mother was talking about consistently, on a daily basis, opening up the word and praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives, our lives will literally be changed by the grace of God. I want to read for you, to you a quote from the book Education that says, The creative energy that called the world into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts power. It begets life. Every command is a promise. Accepted by the will, received into the soul, it brings with it the life of the infinite one. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul in the image of God. Education 126. This means that by taking this Bible, this precious Word of God, written to me and to you, and spending time in it consistently, our lives will be changed and we will be empowered to change the lives of those around us by the grace of God. You know, it starts with a commitment to spend that time every single day, and I know that our lives are busy. There are many people who have claims on our time. We're full of good things, we're wanting to do good things with our lives every single day. And sometimes it's really hard. I I know that in my own experience, I've found that that time with God can be eroded away little by little. That it can be hard to spend more than just a few minutes in the presence of God. It can be hard to take time to be still before him and really know him as our creator, as our savior, as our friend. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning often, I am so tired. I am not a morning person. And for those of you out there who are morning people, be thankful for that blessing. Because when my eyes open in the morning, I often feel like I wish I could have four more hours to sleep. But that's the moment when God calls to my heart, what is most important to me? Do I truly place the highest priority on my relationship with him? Am I willing to spend a few more hours or a few more minutes sleeping, maybe another half an hour, 45 minutes, and trade that precious season of communion with God for that little bit more of sleep don't I believe that God is powerful enough to give me the energy to make it through the day if I will get up by faith and spend that time with him it's at those moments when the Christianity that we claim that's where the rubber meets the road are we making God the highest priority in our life are we taking that consistent time with him in his word you know there are times even when I take consistent time in the word of God that my devotional life is, you know, I, I hit a dry spell. It's been rich and beautiful and vibrant for a long time, and then I hit a dry spell, and I think that there are many out there who have experienced the same thing. I think that all of us at one time or another will find that we'll have a dry spell in our, in our um, devotional time. And I have found one of the things that have been very helpful for me is to read, to spend time reading something that is practical and life-changing for me, right where I am right now, in my walk with the Lord. There are many things that I have studied over the years. I remember when I was a student, a nursing student, in a public university, I found it very helpful to study the lives of men and women like Daniel and Esther who were in worldly environments and yet remained true to God. I remember I would go to the Word, and I would find morning after morning, oh wow, look at these principles. This is so applicable to my life right now. And it motivated me to go back again and again and again and find more of what God had in store for me in his word. And there were other times, I remember when I was having struggles as a teenager in honoring my parents, that I did a topical study in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that was very helpful, very practical to me. And now as I'm having the opportunity to work with my father and come into contact with our community more and more often, I'm studying the book Acts of the Apostles in conjunction with reading the the book of Acts from the Bible. As I seek to live a more consecrated life to the Lord and find how to lead others to him. And it's been a blessing because I love spending time in the word. It's not dry to me. It's not, oh, I have to read the next chapter, you know, in whatever book it is today. I'm excited about going back and spending that time of communion, precious communion with my God. As we spend time in the word of God, it will become more and more precious to us. And we will find promises there that we feel were written just for us. I believe that God, as He was writing the Word, had me in mind, had you in mind. And if we go and spend time, we will find those promises that will become so, that will come to mean so much to us. I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, to Jeremiah 12, verse 5, as I share with you a little experience I had that stands out in my mind. I was reading through the Bible, I had actually never read front to back through it before, and I was doing that for the first time, and I read this verse in Jeremiah for the very first time that says, Jeremiah 12, verse 5, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? And you know, that that verse really stood out to me that morning. And I remember writing in the margin of my Bible, it's still there to this day, Lord Jesus, teach me how to run with the horses. And I I dated what I wrote there. Well, as often happens in life, I completely forgot about that experience until several months later, I found myself in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. I think that maybe many of you have experienced this before, and if you have not, probably will sometime in your life. I had a friend, someone who was very dear to me, who said some very, believed some very untrue things about me and our family and started talking to others behind our back about it. Never came to us, never confronted us, and we started hearing through third parties the things that they were saying. And I have a very, in my natural personality, have a very strong, keen sense of justice, and I just felt like that was so wrong. You know, come to my face if you have a problem with something I'm doing or if you think that I've done something wrong, don't be talking about me behind my back and definitely don't be talking about my family behind my back. But you know, I found myself in a place where I had to forgive that person when they were not sorry for what they had done, had not come to me, had not asked for my forgiveness, and yet God was asking me to forgive them. And I struggled with this and I did. I would give it to the Lord and give it to the Lord and the feelings would come back, and I would give it to him again. And I remember several days into this, I was spending time in the word, and again, these feelings of resentment were coming up, and I was asking the Lord, why is this happening to me? I, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. And by the grace of God, you know, in his perfect timing, I was flipping through my Bible, and I came across that little note. And I read, Lord Jesus, teach me to run with the horses. And the still, small voice of God said in my heart, I am answering your prayer through this experience. I am teaching you to run with the horses. I am I'm strengthening your character for the tests that are ahead. Why are you complaining? And you know, friends, it put the situation into a completely different light for me and I could actually rejoice in the trial that I was going through because my God cared about me enough to actually take the time to sharpen and shape my character for what he has in store for me in the days ahead. Those words are precious to me. That verse, every time I read it, I think of these things. And now it's not something that was written thousands of years ago to an ancient people. It was words that were penned for Shante Nublin in 2010. The Lord wants his words to come alive to us in this way each and every day, and they can. And you know, as we come apart from those times of precious communion with God, others will look at us. And as, as Peter and John in the, in the story in Acts 4, verse 13, they will look at us and they will marvel and they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been with Jesus. Amen. Amen.
3: Okay, friends, I want to speak to you for just a moment about the importance of not only knowing God's word, but hiding it in our hearts so that we can be wholly consecrated to God. Now, I know you guys, we are speaking to a brilliant audience here. You all are doctors or doctors in training, dentists, all this, you know, stuff. Actually, you know, I, I wanted to be a doctor once. I thought I was going to be a doctor, following in the footsteps of my father. We all love the medical field. Father's a doctor, mother's a nurse, Shantae's a nurse, and all four of us young people are EMTs. So we love medicine. But um, among other reasons, I realized that medicine requires a special level of brilliance. So I settled for accounting instead. <laughs> But I want to talk to you for just a moment. I, I, I know that you all have these brilliant minds. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind me to tell a simple little story as an illustration. You know, Jesus did illustrations. He did stories as well, right? They were called parables. Parables. Well, listen to me for just a moment. I'm going to tell you a simple little story. Regress, if you can, for a moment. Imagine in your mind a general of old, powerful general. And he is getting ready to fight one of the most important battles he has ever fought. In fact, it is going to decide the destiny of nations. And he's pouring over, he's sitting in his his office tent before the battle the night before. And he's just pouring over all of his war notes and just like, how can I ensure victory here? And all of a sudden, in through the the tent door bursts his top spy. And he says, "Sup." I just came back and, and I got news from my chief spy and he has news about, about where the, camp, the enemy camp is all positioned and I, come come here, okay. So they, they pull out the map and the, and the chief spy says, look here, if you send your men this direction and that direction and behind that little knoll and through that little pass, you are assured of victory. They're not expecting you. And the general says, yes! Victory is sure. Because he had a map. He had a map to victory. Well, friends, we have a map too. Amen? Amen. We have a map to absolute victory Mm -hmm. in the word of God. In Psalms 119, verse 11, the psalmist says, Thy word have I what? Hid in my heart that I what? That I might not sin against thee. The word of God is going to empower us, friends, To not sin against God. It's going to empower us to live victorious Christian lives. Isn't that incredible? And several verses later in that chapter, in verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a... Light unto my path. It's as if God is saying, Here's the path, son. He's holding the lamp. Walk ye in it. That's as simple as it is. Amen? So the importance of hiding God's word... In our hearts, that we might not sin against God. You know, if you were to ask me right now, what is your name? I would say, my name is Joshua Neblett. Now, why would I know my name? Why wouldn't I be like, um, you know, I'm not sure what that is? Why do you think? Well, because I've been told all my life that my name is Joshua Neblett, and so that name is indelibly burned upon my mind. I cannot forget it, unless I had a severe case of dementia, in which case I would forget it. But, you know, that's, that's like, organic decomposition so I'm yeah I can't forget my name because it's indelibly burned upon my mind and I think yeah it's part of it's part of who I am and I think that that's what the Lord wants when he says hide my word in your heart make it a part of yourselves have it indelibly burned so that you cannot sin against me we must hide his word in our hearts have it as part of ourselves live it live by it, talk it, walk with it, or die for it, that we might not sin against God. Amen? Okay, so, specifically memorization, hiding God's word in our hearts. You know, there's, research says, and and I realize I'm speaking to a crowd of doctors that know way more about this than I do, so forgive me if I'm saying something wrong, you can just correct it in your own mind, or come up to me later. Research says that the brain actually grows exponentially. So, when you use your brain... These, um, I've got to get my eyes and my cues right here because I'm not a doctor. Okay, so it literally grows new, new neural pathways. So as you use the brain, you exercise the brain, it grows new neural pathways. And as, you, as it grows new neural pathways, it's using a greater potential of the brain, which grows more new neural pathways. So the brain, the brain grows, grows, grows the more you use it. So um, actually, and specifically by memorization, it's talking about. So I just want to share, you my personal testimony, share with you my personal testimony on, on memorization. I've always been kind of the slowest at memorizing. In all of our family, especially in the young people, I'm, I, was, I have been historically the least talented at just remembering things. I mean, some of these kids back here have some brilliant minds. So I'm up against a lot, you know? <laughs> anyway, so I've kind of used that as an excuse. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I, I realize memorization is important. Hiding God's word in my mind is important. But it's very difficult for me, so maybe it's just not the gift that the Lord has given me. Well, uh, first of all, I just want to say that that was definitely an excuse. And I want to say to all of you, dentists, doctors, and nurses, and all the rest of you medical professionals out there, if I were to add up all of the IQ in this room between all of you, I'm sure we could build a spaceship in like three weeks. I mean, there is a lot of brilliance here, and, and doctors have to remember so many medications, so many side effects, all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm doing well to remember, like, the ten drugs that we can give on the ambulance, but you, but you physicians can memorize so much more. So I just want to say that you definitely have a gift for memory, and so I think that this is important for you to realize that the Lord is calling upon your heart to hide his word in your hearts as well. So I've always had this, this picture that, yeah, I, I'm the least talented, so whatever well just this last spring some of you might have heard about the flooding that happened in Nashville Tennessee Um, the bad flooding was on the news and stuff well we were there actually during the flooding in Nashville and we were visiting some friends on a farm and the rain came pouring down of course and we were on our way to church that Sabbath and the car went through a deep puddle and it hiccuped, hiccuped with the water and we wound up sputtering back home instead of to church so we had a home church there instead But it was such a blessing because we spent such a a great amount of time studying the Word of God and also discussing memorization, and we we took some time to memorize together. And it was amazing because through that experience, we memorized um, one of the Psalms. I realized, hey, I actually can memorize. And so I said, okay, well, memorization, maybe, yeah, this is something that I need to invest myself in a little bit more. And it's amazing, as I have thrown myself greater and greater at memorization, the Lord has laid it before me that it is um, his calling to me to actually memorize the entire new testament with references so that's my goal i'm memorizing the entire new testament and it's amazing to me, amazing to me to see how the lord blesses you know as i've been memorizing things it does get easier it really does and it, of course the growth is very slow i still can't memorize an entire chapter at a time like i would love to do but that's coming but the lord is blessing me because as i have found as i hide his word in my heart he's transforming me friends it's like that map that is the direct road as long as we follow it we're in the way of the Lord the Lord is going to lead us to victory and I want to encourage you you know for physicians as you're in your room discussing with a patient as you're trying to share the gospel the word of God with a patient it may not be possible for all of you to pull a Bible off the shelf and to read a verse that is perfect for their case So I think it is even more important for physicians to hide God's word in their heart to memorize it so that at the moment when you need it, when you know, oh, this this person needs that verse, it can come right out. You can share the gospel with people. And that is the gift that the Lord wants to give to all of us if we invest ourselves at hiding his word in our hearts.
4: So my family has talked about the Word of God, and it's a subject we're all very passionate about, but I want to talk about prayer. And this is a subject that I am incredibly passionate about. Joshua just mentioned, of course, that um, the four of us are EMTs, and so essentially that's what we are trained to do is keep our patient alive till we get them to you, to definitive care. And the first thing that we are trained to do when we come in contact with a patient is assess their airway, breathing, and circulation in that order. I'm sure you all already know that, but it, but as I was going through the EMT training, and our teacher was drilling us. The minute you get in contact with the patient, airway, 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 breathing, breathing, breathing. Lord spoke to my heart about our spiritual walk, our spiritual souls staying alive at our most basic level, because airway, breathing, and circulation is what keeps a human alive physically at our most basic level. What is it that keeps us alive spiritually at our most basic level? Our soul's airway, our soul's Breathing? What is our soul's breath? We all know it. It's prayer. Prayer is the breath of the soul, and if we are not breathing, how can we expect our soul to stay alive any longer than if our body is not breathing? It just doesn't make sense. So this is the subject that I have grown to love because God has taken me over this subject over and over and over again since I became Well, probably since around the time I turned 13, God started drilling the subject into my head until it has become my passion. It's such a huge subject, of course, I can't cover it in entirety, but I just wanted to share with you three basic things that the Lord has recently um, been specifically communicating with me about prayer. The first thing comes from Matthew 6, verse 6, and it says, When thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. You know, prayer all too often becomes just this formal, communi- one-way communication with an abstract concept, rather than communication to our Father. It's so easy to slip into these trends. You know, I'm, I'm landing on my knees, and like my mind's going a million miles an hour. It's, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. And the Lord's like, Tasha, stop. Who who is this benefiting? You're moving too fast to even think about what you're saying to me. And what I want to hear is what's on your heart. It says right there in Matthew 6, 6, pray to your father. Not just, don't just rattle off all these words. And, you know, it, when we look at Calvary, we see the, the passionate, the self-giving love of our father. We see it poured out there in his willingness to die for us. And that willingness to die for us is positive proof of his willingness to live for us. So now he comes back around and says, just go, go into your closet, shut your door, and pray to your father. You got this call to my heart recently to view him not just as a savior, as a king, or you know, something you need to confess to, although, of course, that, that will always be there, but along with those things, to view him more as a friend. To invest myself in pursuing him, in pursuing the things, learning the things that make him smile, learning the things that make him sing. And those things are what are going to draw me closer to him until, like it says in Psalm 63, his loving kindness is better than life. And we spend all day under the shadow of his wings. And, and we grow so close to him that rather than being distracted, by the, distracted from him by the things of this world, we're distracted from the things of this world by him because he's so beautiful to us and that's what he's willing to give us but it's the devil's studied purpose to keep us from prayer over and over again in my life i've realized that if i don't schedule it it's not going to happen the devil is so invested so i schedule it and if my schedule changes i change the time but i have it scheduled into my life and Perhaps for doctors and dentists and everything, when you have so many patients during the day, maybe it's just 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, a little bit during lunch break. But if, if we don't have time, it's probably because, this is something God has confronted me, but I'm like, Lord, I don't have time to do this right now. He's like, well, if you don't have time, it's probably because there's something on your plate that I didn't put there because my will will never schedule me out of your life. I was like okay (laughs) I have time (laughs) I have time and you know he has promised that if we will spend time in prayer with him in secret he will reward us openly and I have tasted the rewards of that the second thing that I want to share with you comes from first Timothy 2 verse 8 it says I will therefore that men pray everywhere you know just not too long ago I was memorizing um I I was actually reviewing I memorized it a long time ago but first Timothy 2 and I was like Will therefore that men pray everywhere. I don't do that. So I thought, well, hey, l- let me just try this new venture. I want to see if I can learn to pray everywhere. So I was talking to my aunt, one of my aunts about it, and she suggested something practical. She said, well, why don't you write down a little card or somewhere the names and situations that you want to pray for and put it in your pocket. And then when I'm doing like a mindless job, like showering or driving, we all have jobs that we do that we don't really need a lot of mental, you know, activity for, then I can pray for those things rather than letting my mind cruise because the minute my mind starts cruising the devil starts coming behind us and whispering hey you know what so and so did and immediately we're all in and our mind starts going down this unprofitable channel rather than letting our minds go down the unprofitable channel I've learned I've been able to gain such a blessing by by carrying these things and interceding for people praying for myself asking for God's Holy Spirit in those moments the last thing comes from Daniel 10, and it's all about persevering in prayer. You know, when I, my brother started praying for an hour at noon when he was 16 or something, like, it was in the, right in the middle of his high school years, and I saw God do miraculous things in his life when he started that, and I thought, well, hey, I, you know, I would like, I'd like those miraculous things in my life, so I thought, well, I'll start praying every day at noon too. So I started praying every day at noon too, and I didn't see miraculous things happen in my life and it was a little bit discouraging to me, but you know, then after a couple months of persevering with this, something happened, and I skipped my prayer time, and that's when I saw the difference, and that was, it was encouraging to me then to see the the difference, but even beyond that, even beyond just looking for the miraculous in in our own lives, there's a story in Daniel 10 that has really been such a blessing to me recently, and I'm just going to summarize it in my own words, so we don't have to read the whole thing, but here's Daniel. Here's the prophet of God. He's he's older now he's very mature back when he was younger he's been so connected so faithful to god all of his life and back when he was younger he prayed to god and asked god to show him what the rule of the world dreamed last night and god did it i mean is that an amazing answer to prayer but now here's daniel praying and mourning and fasting for three weeks before he gets an answer and then at the end of the three weeks this angel comes to him and says you know back when you first started praying god commissioned me to answer but then he explains, the angel explains, that as he was coming to answer Daniel, this cosmic battle ignited that involved the highest princes and powers of heaven and the highest powers of darkness, and it took three solid weeks of fighting for the angels of God to win. Is that incredible? Did Daniel know anything about that all that time? No, all he knew was that the heavens seemed silent, and here he has been fasting for 14 days, and, and, and God hasn't responded yet. How many times do we give up praying because of discouragement? How many times, just just enter in with me, how many times do perhaps our prayers ignite cosmic battles? And then halfway through, the human gets discouraged because God doesn't hear, that's what it seems like to us, and we give up praying, and we leave the most powerful beings in the universe stranded in between a battle they long to win, and yet God has told these Christians, if you don't ask, you won't have, if you do ask, you will have. So we want to keep fighting, but they're not asking anymore. How often do we leave these being stranded? By giving up in discouragement, God has said to me, Natasha, if, if the prayers of one of the greatest prophets that's ever lived on this world took three weeks to answer, don't give up. When the answer seems long in coming or the heaven seems silent. And this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Glory, hallelujah. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not.
5: Amen. All right, friends, is the gospel not simple? In a sense, I think these things that we've been talking about are things that we've known all our lives. We've established where power comes from comes from the word of God it comes through the grace of God and we've established the need for us to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God to live a fortified life we've also established that we need a connection that it'll do us no good to buzz around the house and and go through the motions of everyday life or even the motions of Christianity without being plugged into the source of power. I liken it to a vacuum cleaner. There's two ways to vacuum a room. You can run over every square inch of the carpet and leave the carpet exactly the same as it's been, or you can plug the vacuum into the wall and run over every square inch of carpet and find lasting change. The motions are not enough. We need something more. But is there more? Is there more than simply getting up in the morning, pouring ourselves into the Word of God, pouring ourselves into prayer? You can look at those things and say, yes, that is enough. But that is only enough when it leads us to one more step. I don't need to stand up before you and tell you that our society over the last decade and and beyond has become more and more and more and more pill-dependent. You know what I mean by that? Disease and sickness is on the rise, but people don't want to change. They just want to get the pill. Well, with the pill comes all these increased side effects and then the need for more pills, and it's a vicious cycle. It goes on and on and on. And now, researchers and doctors like yourself are looking at the situation and saying, wait a minute, maybe there's something more to this. Friends, there is something more to this. I don't need to tell you that. That's why we're here. But as Christians, I think that we've taken maybe a very similar route as our society in the last decade and beyond, in that increased spiritual problems, increased stresses and strains and pulls and worries call for an increased connection. And if we don't get that increased connection, we get increasingly spiritually sick and eventually suffer spiritual death but what is the solution for many in our age the solution is to run to the christian bookstore pick up the latest book on the you know the subject of our need devour it and then try to go on with life is that the solution that can help there's no question but we need a solution that is deeper because that solution i think if we look at the fruit around us is not proving effective For all of Christendom, what is the solution? Lifestyle. Just as in medicine, the solution for all these patients who are becoming more and more and more and more pill dependent is a change in lifestyle. Friends, in our spiritual lives, there is a need for a change in lifestyle. What do I mean by that? I found in my life that I can open my Bible in the morning, pour myself into the Word of God, I can pray. I can love the experience I have there, but unless I order my life, unless I order my entire day to, dis- to decrease distractions, to weed out of my life those things that are not conducive with a lifestyle of victory, I can't win. I won't win. I'll be 30 minutes removed from my devotional time and it will do me very little saving good. Not because there's no power in the word of God, but because I'm turning my back on the power of the word of God by my choices in the day. Not that long ago, this this truth was brought very forcibly to my mind. I was reading um, about the story of rich man Lazarus. You remember that story? It's found in Luke 16. And turn with me there. Luke 16. Excuse me. This story is one that's, I think, sometimes misunderstood because... If you take it for face value, you know, you can say, well, Jesus was teaching bad theology here. Well, that was not the idea. That was not the purpose of this story. Jesus was trying to to, um, make an illustration to the Pharisees. But, of course, here we have the story. There's this rich man and Lazarus the beggar. And rich man is extremely rich. And he has everything together. He lives what people around think is a holy life. And the beggar sits outside his gate. And he passes by every day, and all the beggar ever does is ask for alms. And, you know, nothing seems to be going in his favor. And then one day, things take a turn. Beggar dies, and then Lazarus dies, and both of them go to heaven, so to speak. Yeah, well, yeah, they both go to the next place. One to heaven, one to hell. And, and the rich man is sitting here in hell, looking across the abyss, and he sees what? The beggar in Abraham's bosom, and he says, how can this be? So he asked Abraham send him down here and have him dip his his finger in the water and bring it over that I might, you know, quench the dryness of my tongue. But but listen to the answer that Abraham hypothetically gives to the rich man. This again is in Luke 16 verse 25, starting in verse 25. But Abraham said, "Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things." And likewise, Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Verse 26, and beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Seems a little heartless, doesn't it? Seems almost unmerciful. But what is Abraham really saying? As I read in Christ's Object Lessons the the commentary on this passage, I learned this is what I found. It was not just some random abyss that had been built between the rich man and his ultimate desires, it was not a random abyss. He had constructed it himself, he had put it there himself. And now it was so deep and so broad that God himself could not bridge it. Is that amazing? By the choices he had made in life, the friends he had chosen to have, this is what Christ's object lesson says, the friends he had chosen to have, the things he had chosen to love, he had built an abyss between himself and heaven that in the end... God could not cross. He had decided his own destiny. So what is the lesson for us? For poor rich man, no amount of wanting or pleading or begging could change the outcome of his life. Because it could not change the outcome of his choices. So I cannot expect grace to do for me what I constantly contradict with the choices in my life. I cannot, I cannot live a lifestyle, This is a, remember the word, lifestyle. I cannot adopt for myself a lifestyle that is not conducive with victory and expect God to make me victorious. That's what the parable teaches me. This means hard choices, brothers and sisters. This means hard choices choices it means if your friends are not inspiring you to do right if your job requires that you compromise even the tiniest little bit if your beautiful home is so mortgaged that your life is tied around paying it off if your hobbies or your favorite recreations your aims and aspirations or just the random details of our overfilled lives are not strengthening us for what is right then they are killing us. And friends, we must lay aside every weight. Our our lives need to be pervaded, permeated by a culture of victory. And it will require sacrifice, but it's worth it.
0: Wholeness with God is what he wants for each one of us. Christ patiently wants to restore us to a relationship with him. But brothers and sisters, this process is not complicated, but it requires something. It requires a revival in our hearts that we are connected with our Savior who knows exactly what we need. And wants to restore us to the kind of a relationship where you and I, in our fields of endeavor, dentistry, medicine, whatever it may be. Those of you who are in training, that your lives can be a powerful influence for the kingdom of heaven. This is what it takes. In addition, we need to commit ourselves. Do you hear the power of choice? We need to commit ourselves that we will spend time in God's word so that we can do what the word calls to our heart to do by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that will make a difference it will make a difference in your lives and it will make a difference in the lives of your family and it will make a difference in the lives and your practice you know we cannot rely on grace however as my son said to do what we deliberately undo by the choices that we make. We must cooperate with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is calling to your heart with what we have shared, don't turn it away. Say, Lord, what would you have me to do? We choose what we commit ourselves to. Romans 6.16 says it well. Know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. Those of you who are Bible students know that that word servants mean dulos, slaves what we choose to be slaves, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. In choosing to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, that old man, self has to die. Then we discipline ourselves unto godliness to leave that which is not good and we choose which is excellent above that which is good. The best news is that the Holy Spirit will be there to help us to develop that friendship with God which will result in a lifestyle that is consistent in overcoming temptation. So let us choose today to take advantage of that power to help us to have a living experience as overcomers in the Christian journey as we wait for our Lord's soon return. We want to close with a song that is a prayer of our hearts of personal revival. Breathe on me, breath of God. till this earth. I want to invite you to kneel in groups of two or three as we pray together asking the Lord to give us the revival that he so wants to pour out and then I will close in prayer as we close our service today let us kneel together and then I will close in prayer
3: This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen Adventist Medical Evangelism Network If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.